Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey towards Christ. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitmiles.com. Thanks for listening. It's great to be here this morning. Good morning. You're in for it because the first service, I was um, um, restricted by time. <laughs> There's no service after this. So um, the sky's the limit for us this morning, right? Uh, no, uh, I'll try to fit within the framework of that clock up there. So uh, we'll do our, do our best. Uh, it's very good to be here uh, today and to have the opportunity to minister uh, the Word of God. I love the Word. I do. And I'm always amazed at how God will take the word and just explode it within me, um, piece by piece. I can tell you that, I was telling somebody after the first service, you know, I preached on, I'm going to preach this morning on bits and pieces of this scripture this morning, but we could literally take weeks and weeks and weeks to go through this message with how much meat there is in here. But we'll touch today on what I feel God uh, has for an importance for us today. So I'm going to read from 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. So if you could turn with me there, whether in your Bibles or open your apps and get there. Again, 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And while you're turning, um, let me say that my heart's desire this morning is that, that God's word will be used to change you, melt you, mold you into the person that he desires for you to be. It, whenever I preach, I, I say this. My desire is that you leave different than when you came in. That should be all of our desire, right? To leave different than when we came in because we're changed more into his image, more into his likeness. As pastor always says, we, we came into the huddle and we're gonna depart from here and go complete what God has called us to do, right? Go in all the world and preach the gospel, right? Be on the mission field doing what he's called us to do. So if you're in, at Second Kings chapter four, verses one through seven, say amen. If you're there, say uh, not there, say uh-oh. Hey, you're better than the first service because there was many that said, uh-oh. Anyways, all right, 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7 says this. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Just, just don't ask for a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, pour it to, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done already within this service. Your presence is amazing. We love you. We thank you for your word. 
the word that is given to us to, to build that relationship with you, um, to help us be, again, the men and women of God you've called us to be. I pray your word would be activated within us this morning that so that, again, we will leave different than when we came in, changed, made more into your image. God, um, Holy Spirit, we need you today in a profound way. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Second Kings chapter 4, verses 1, it says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets. This is a profound statement to begin this portion of Scripture because she was the wife of a prophet. Therefore, she had to know and hear about the many things that God did throughout history. She had to hear about how God spared Noah and his family when, when he built the ark. She had to hear about the trials of Joseph and how God used Joseph to save the people from the drought. She had to hear about how God changed Moses' life and used him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. She had to hear about how God parted the Red Sea, about how God gave the Israelites a cloud by day and a fire by night, and how the Lord fed them with manna and quail. She had to hear about how God gave them water from the rock. She had to hear about how God helped David defeat Goliath and about how the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. She had to hear about how God consumed the sacrifice on Mount Carmel with the, the prophets of Baal and how the prophets of Baal were slaughtered. She had to hear about how Elijah ascended into heaven and about how Elijah went to the bank of the Jordan, struck the water and saw the water divide to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. She had to hear about how Elijah threw salt into the bad water, and the water was made suitable for drinking. She was the wife of a prophet and knew about God. She had heard about God and all the things that God had did, but here, this wife of the company of the prophets cried out. The Hebrew context of that word actually means to shriek, to cry out, to moan, to weep uncontrollably. You see, her husband had passed away, and now it looked like she was going to lose her two sons to slavery. It was the practice in Old Testament time that if you didn't pay your debt, you had to pay it in this way. He would take the two sons and they would work for the lender until the money was paid back. She was devastated. She was in despair. She felt hopeless. She was brokenhearted. She was at what seemed to be the lowest part of her life. She was actually desperate. She needed an answer. Let me ask you, are you at this place this morning in your life? You just don't know what to do. You may be confused or, or frustrated. You might, you might have reached your wit's end. You don't know where to turn. And you might be even ready to give up. And it was at this place of desperation where we see and read about the widow this morning. For us, you hear today it could be because of the loss of a loved one. 
or a difficult place of employment, or you're concerned with your job, you can't find a job, maybe you're going to lose your job, the bills keep piling up, and you can't pay them, maybe the electricity, is you're worried it's going to be turned off, the creditors keep calling, and there just isn't an answer, the bank account's drained, you're possibly on the, the verge of losing your house, maybe your health is failing, or maybe, maybe your marriage this morning is a mess. Your life seems to be out of control and you don't know if there's an answer. I remind you today that God hasn't forgotten you. I said this in the first service. Last night the Lord woke me up and I had my message prepared and he gave me this portion that I'm going to talk right now to you in the middle of the night. I love it when he does that because then it means it's personal. Then he means he's really wanted to speak to somebody and get their attention this morning. But can I tell you this morning that God hasn't forgotten you? He's not, he's not sitting behind a veil somewhere. Every once in a while, peeking to see what's going on. And then going back to his spot and just hoping that things are going to be Okay. There's too much chaos. There's too much turmoil in this world. I just can't look at it. No, I can tell you this morning that God is actively engaged and there's no veil there. He knows everything that's going on. He knows everything that you and I are dealing with in our life. And he's actively engaged with who you are and the struggles that you are facing, the turmoil that you're under. He knows it. And he's right there. He has not forgotten you. Isaiah 49, 16, behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. It's permanent. He is engraved permanent on the palms of his hands. You and me. Isaiah 130, I'm sorry, Psalm 139, 15, 16, you know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I sculpted you from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watch me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. God hasn't forgotten you. Isaiah 46, 3 and 4, I have carried you since you were born. I have taken care of you from your birth. Even when you are old, I will be the same. Even when your hair has turned gray, I will take care of you. I made you and will take care of you. I will carry you and will save you. God has not forgotten you. Psalm 56, 8, you've kept track of my every toss and turn through the sleepless nights. Each tear entered into your ledger, each ache written in your book. God is intimately engaged and knows you. Isaiah 41, 13. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Can I tell you today that God has not forgotten you? I love this last scripture because it doesn't say that you hold his hand. It says he is holding your right hand. Why? Because he knows you'll let go. He'll never let go. Think about that, guys. He is holding your hand, and he never lets go. 
That's powerful in itself. We could stop right there because that's the word this morning. He is here and he is actively engaged. He's intimate with us. He loves us beyond our comprehension. But yet here we are in this situation and the widow, the widow is in an unbelievable situation in her life, a difficult position that you might be in as well. The first question we have to ask ourselves when we are in a difficult situation is where or what are we going to turn to for the answer? Will it be the things of this world? Will it be bitterness, anger, rage? Will it be disappointment with God or the things of God? Because that's what happens at times. As soon as something challenging happens, instead of it pushing us toward God, it turns us away from God and we blame the one who's right with us holding our hand. Who will you turn to for an answer? Who are we going to run to? Who are we going to lean on? Who are we going to put our trust in? Who are we going to pursue? The widow desperately needed an answer, and you may as well today. You may think your answer is found in more money, a better job, or even maybe a job. Maybe it's bigger and better toys, or sex, or drugs, or alcohol, a relationship, a bigger house, a, a better car. Maybe it's a better marriage, or maybe just acceptance. You fill in the blank. People looking for an answer, turning to something for an answer in this life. Can I tell you today that the things of this world are not our answer? In the end, all of these things in this world are going to leave you empty, confused, and frustrated. And you'll hop from one thing to the next, looking for fulfillment in life, only to find yourself with a void that you just can't fill. It won't satisfy you. It'll be a temporary fix to a deeper issue that's inside. These things ultimately will leave us continuing to search and search for something to try to fill the void, take care of the challenge that we're facing in this life. Do you know that the world is searching for an answer? It's estimated that the psychic business in America does $2.2 billion a year in business. Why? Because people are searching for an answer. You realize divorce is at 50% even among Christians. Why? Because they think another marriage is their answer. You realize the sales of lottery averages $105 billion a year. Why? Because people think that money is going to be their answer. $53 billion a year are spent at casinos alone. Alcohol sales have reached $86 billion in this past year. The bar is not your answer. Pornography is increasing. About $16.9 billion a year is spent on pornography. About 40 million adults regularly visit pornography sites every single day. People are doing all these things looking for fulfillment in life. They're looking for an answer. They're looking for self-satisfaction. They're looking for something to fill the void, the emptiness that's inside of their life. The problem really today is that, that people are being run by their emotions. Think about that. 
We're living in a day where emotions have become the primary motivation of values and actions and even spiritual beliefs. Reason is now dominated by feelings rather than our feelings being dominated by reason or the truth of God, which is what's intended for us. Even more so, we are living in the day where people are encouraged to release your emotions. People are encouraged to allow your emotions to rule your destiny, your life. You ever heard of the, if it feels right, what? Just do it. Or how can something that feels so right be so wrong? You ever heard those? And that's what's driving people's lives today. The reliance upon feelings or emotional satisfaction, it's pushing people in further and further from the truth. But the reality is the answer is not satisfying our emotions. The answer is not allowing reason to be dominated by our feelings. The answer is living according to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it says, if you shall know the truth, and what? The truth will set you free. The answer is letting the word of God pierce us and cut us and divide us and shape us into the people that that he desires us to be. The answer is laying down our life and realizing that it's not about us. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and, and I no longer live. But the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. The greatest piece of literature ever written on the subject of love, it's the 13th chapter of of 1 Corinthians. It doesn't include a single reference to feelings. It says this, love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what should change us and make us into the people that we need to be. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. The reality is that we need to be listening to, not to our emotions, but we need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. He's the one that will teach us all things. He's the one that will guide us into all truth. The widow didn't turn to her feelings or emotions for the answer. She didn't turn to the world to get her answer or find fulfillment in life. Who are we going to turn to? It says in 2 Kings chapter 4, it says, The widow cried out to Elijah. The widow turned to Elijah for her answer. How is that profound? Because if you think about it, Elijah was a prophet of God. And prophets during the Old Testament time were someone who used to be used by God to communicate his message to the world. Prophets were also called seers because they could see spiritually speaking as God gave them insight. A prophet was required to deliver God's message accurately. They spoke with the authority of the Holy Spirit. They proclaimed God's word. They were messengers of God to the people. So ultimately, who did she look to the answer for? To somebody that would give her what God wanted her to hear. 
She wanted to hear from God, guys. She didn't look to the world for an answer or to meet her needs. She looked to the man of God for an answer. She didn't give up on God. She pursued God. She went after God. Psalm 121.1 says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Who are we turning to for the answer? When the pressure gets tough in your life, if the pressure's tough in your life right now, who are you turning to? What are you turning to? Guys, life has not been easy. It's not easy at times. It's been pretty tough for me over the past months. Won't get deep into it. But there's one thing I learned over my life, that when the tough that when it gets tough, the tough get going. They get going after God. When li- Let me say that again. When life gets tough, the tough get going after God. Not the, answer, not the things of this world is her answer. Guys, I have, I have learned that when life gets tough, I dig into the word more. When life gets tough, I turn off the radio in my car and I pray more. Or I tell Alexa, right? Pray, pray, play praise and worship because I need, I need the presence of God more. When life gets tough, I'll wake up earlier because I, I want to make sure that I'm getting my devotions and more word in. When life gets tough, I press into the things of God. Are you doing that today? We should be. Because he's our answer. God is our answer. And when you do it, he'll provide the answer for you. Can I tell you today that he's an on-time God? 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 7 says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets, she cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Was it just a coincidence that Elijah was was here at this moment when the widow needed help? I don't think so. God has perfect timing. He had perfect timing for the widow and he has perfect timing for you as well. God had a mission for Elijah at this point in the widow's life. And he has a mission and a plan for you and for me as well. Can I tell you today that God will provide the answer at the right time and at the right place in your life? He's an on-time God. Can I tell you today, he's an on-time God. He was an on-time God when they needed the Red Sea parted. He was an on-time God for Daniel in the lion's den. He was an on-time God for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. He was an on-time God for Lazarus, who was already dead in the grave. He was an on-time God for the man with leprosy. He was an on-time God for those, the 5,000 people that needed to be fed. He was an on-time God for the woman with the issue of blood. He was an on-time God for the demon-possessed boy. He was an on-time God for blind Bartimaeus. He was an on-time God for the paralytic, for the man that was deaf, the one that was mute. He was an on-time God for the people in the upper room. He was an on-time God for the crippled beggar. He was an on-time God for Paul's conversion, for Peter's escape from prison, for Paul and Silas's escape from prison. He was an on-time God for the jailer's conversion. And he's an on-time God for you and for me today. 
Can I say it again? He's an on-time God for you and me right now. He's an on-time God that said he'll supply all of your needs according to his riches and glories in Christ Jesus. He's the on-time God that said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's an on-time God that said, all things work together for the good of those that love you. He's an on-time God that said, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's an on-time God today for you and for me. 2 Kings 4, 2 says this, Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? I love this part of the verse. There's so much stuff in this portion of scripture, but I love this because Elijah said, how can I help you? It's a profound statement if you really think about it, guys, because he wanted to be actively engaged in her need. It, it, it involves a sense of ownership. He didn't just say, hey, I'll pray for you and then leave. Right? He truly wanted to help. He, he wanted to be actively engaged in the widow's challenge that she was dealing with. Can I tell you that God wants to use you and he wants to use me to help touch people's lives? How can you help? You know, when I was young, I grew up with a family of 14 kids. I have six brothers and seven sisters. We're a close family. We love. We love each other. We do. Uh, we get together often, and typically when I see them, we give them hugs. Um, we, have, we have our challenges like any family does. But I grew up with my family, loving and being with my family. And that brought a lot of advantages, like we had our own basketball team. <laughs> I didn't need neighbors because we just played with each other. We neighbors came over at times too. We had our own football team. And we were kind of tough. Some of the neighbors actually came over with helmets on when we played football. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Little side note. But we were a close family. Still are a close family. Not only were we a close family, but this guy right here was a mama's boy. Still kind of am. I love my mama. But it was very difficult for me to be away from the home because I felt safe and I felt secure at home. I knew I was loved. Did you fight every once in a while with a brother or a sibling? Sure, but you still knew you were loved. Well, I remember going, actually trying to stay the night places when I was 10, 12 years old, and I would be the one that would call at 2, 3 in the morning to have mom come pick me up because I just couldn't be away. But it came time when I graduated, and I felt God called me to go to Bible college. So I went to Ellendale, North Dakota, of all places. Long ways away, no vehicle. Couldn't get there and back without riding with somebody. To get there, my parents dropped me off in Midland, Michigan, at my roommate's um, house. Drove to Ellendale, and the only way back home was to hitch a ride with somebody, and I would usually get dropped off in Rockford, and somebody would come and get me. But because I was attached and I was a mama's boy, it was very difficult for me to be away. My first semester was a, a very much a challenge. The first couple months in particular because I was away from home. I was away from my security where I felt accepted and loved. I actually was to a point where, geez, I, 
I was sick in bed for like a week, and I wasn't sick. I was just homesick. But then God began to challenge me, and there was a, there was a room in the basement of the dorm. It was a prayer room. So I began to go down to the prayer room, tried to every day, read some scripture, pray. You'd go to chapel, and we had a chapel almost every day. And while, while chapel was going, I'd, I'd be really intense about trying to learn. But afterwards, I would try to linger, and I'd stay. And I, I would sit in my chair, and I'd just pray, and God, I need an answer from you, because it's very difficult for me. Well, one day in chapel, I'm sitting, and, sitting in my chair, and I get a tap on the shoulder. And I was having a bad day. I was having a pretty big challenge in my life. And I turned around, and here's this older gentleman. Now, given I was 18, and he was probably in his mid to late 30s. He was older to me, right? I know that's not older, but he was older to me. And his wife was actually a teacher at the college, come to find out. He said, hi, my name is Roger. Who are you? I said, I'm Chris. He goes, this may sound weird, but I'm sitting over here, and the Lord told me to come to you today. And the Lord told me that I need to mentor you. I said, what's that? <laughs> I didn't know. He said, well, it means that I want to spend time with you. I want to dig into the word together. I want to pray together. And we're going to memorize scripture together. We'll meet throughout the week, and we'll do that. I said, yeah, let's do that. So I began to meet with Roger. He began to help me in my challenge. He listened to God. And because he listened to God, it impacted my life in a profound way, guys. I can say today that a lot of my love for Scripture today comes from those times. I've, I've memorized Scripture during those days that, that still come up and out of me as I'm out and about just in life. The Scriptures just come up, right, because the Holy Spirit brings them up. But he, because he, he was willing to help me in my need, it changed my life. Let me give you another example. So one day I'm, I'm at home, I get a call from a buddy of mine, and he said, hey, um, there, I have this new guy at work, and um, he just started, but he needs a place to live. I was single, I had my own house, I had a room. I'd have been involved with some foster care in the past. I was kind of a youth pastor, and yeah, working in that, so I really, uh, really had a concern and care for youth at that time. Still do, but anyways. Um, he said that he needs a place to live. He's getting kicked out of another foster home. He's been from foster home to foster home. I said, why? Well, he's got a little bit of an anger issue. What did he do? He just put a hole, punched a hole in the wall at the last foster care home. I said, all right, bring, bring him over. Let's talk. Sat down with him and make a long story short, guys. Begin to ask him, what are your dreams? What are your visions? He had none. No purpose in life. He's a foster kid that's went from home to home to home. Nobody wants me. I have no desire. You know, I, I, I give up. I'm faced too many challenges in life. Life is just crazy. I just need a place to live. And as soon as I get to 18, I'll just do whatever I want to do. Like, no, but I, I begin to pour into him. And one day we sat down and said, what do, you, what do you want to do? What are your dreams? He goes, well, I, I like to play football. I'm like, okay, it's, it's your sophomore. You're getting, getting there ready to enter in your junior year. Let's plug you in. You're going to play football at Niles High School. I can't do that. I've never played football before. I said, it doesn't matter. 
I said, what, do you want? what position do you want, running back? I said, well, you go tell the coach you want to be running back and you do the best that you can be. And he ended up being running back in Niles High School for two years and was pretty, pretty good at it. We sat down one day in his senior year and I said, listen, buddy, what, what's your next steps? What do you want to do? We're getting close. You have a couple months before you're going you're to graduate. I said, let's think about next steps. He goes, uh, I, I don't, I'll just work the rest of my life. I'm like, no, 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 no. You need to go to college. He's like, college? What do you mean college? I can't go to college. I said, like, yes, you can. I said, how about football? You want to play football at college? You love football. Oh, there's no way I can play football at college. No school's going to want me to play, play football. I'm like, ah, yes, you can. I knew where I went to college, at Trinity Bible College in Eldon, North Dakota. They had a football team. So we got a hold of the football coach, and we got him, uh, got him accepted at Trinity Bible College, and he went and played football for Trinity Bible College for four years. The kids graduated and has been a pastor for many years. What can you do to help? What can you do to help? I believe that those are, it's a profound statement in this particular portion of Scripture because I believe that God wants us to get actively engaged in people's life in some way or some form that we can help that we can help. Maybe it's paying somebody's, somebody's meal. Maybe it's paying for someone's bills. I don't know. Maybe it's making a pie for somebody and bringing it over. Maybe you listen to the Lord and how God wants you to help people because when you do that, God can profoundly change people's lives because you, out of a love for Christ, reached out to somebody and showed them the love of Christ in their life. Allow God to choose the best way for you to help. When the widow met with Elijah in verse 1, what do you think she was hoping to get? Money, guys, right? She had no idea how God was going to choose to help her. And this thing with the oil, really? She couldn't have guessed that in 100 years. But God's creative. He's, He's the one who created the whole universe and everything in it. Can I tell you that the Lord knows the best way to help you and he will do amazing things to get that to happen in your life. Sometimes it's through people like Elijah. Sometimes it's through miracles like the oil. Sometimes the Lord will help us through, through circumstances in life. Sometimes it's through people like you and me. Here it is in 2 Kings 4, 2 and we're running out of time so we're gonna try to bring the end to this. 2 Kings 4, 2 says, Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? I like this portion of scripture because he doesn't commiserate with her. He literally says, hey, what do you have? What do you have? And I'm asking you today as well, what do you have? Because we can focus on your problems and we can talk about your problems all day long, but the Lord doesn't want you to look at your problems. He wants you to look at what you have. And what do you have? What do you have? You have a God who created the heavens and the earth. You have a God who put you on this earth with a purpose and a plan. You have a God who sent his one and only son to die for you and for me so that we can have life and have it abundantly. You have a God that keeps his promises. Elijah got her to take her eyes off of her circumstances and put them on the answer, and that was Jesus. What did he say? He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen. He says, what is seen is temporary. Those, the challenges that you're facing, the struggles in your life, they're temporary. What you see is temporary. He says, 
But fix your eyes on what is unseen. Because what is unseen is eternal. Oh, I wish that God sometimes would remove those veils from our eyes so that we can truly see what he's doing. Because he's doing things that you don't understand he's doing. He's preparing the way for you and for me. You don't see it when you're in the valley. No, you don't. It's hard to see that when you're in the valley. But one day we get to the mountaintop and we look back and we say, wow, God, you did amazing things through that circumstance. So what are we going to do? Trust in God? Or are we going to look to the world for our answer? Can I tell you today that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus? He truly is the author and the finisher of our faith. Matthew 6, 25 and 33 says this, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, but seek first. Seek first. The very first thing that you and I should do is seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when we do that, it says all these things will be added unto you. That's our life. We should be seeking God. And if we seek God, he'll take care of the rest. He'll take care of the rest. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as, as each is filled, put it one to a side. She left him and shut the door behind her and his sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. And the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Can I tell you today that his provision not only covered the debt of the past, it extended a hope of hope for future to the widow and her children. <laughs> Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Pastor, you read this scripture at the beginning of the, mess of the service. You did it in the first service as well, but I have it in my notes. It says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It all, its, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in, in a year of drought and never fails to bear you trust in God. And no matter what challenge, no matter what you're going on in your life, you will never fail to bear fruit. If I could have the praise team come up. There's a, a story of Howard Hendricks gave this great testimony about Dallas Theological Seminary. It says shortly after the seminary was founded in 1924, it almost folded it came to the point of bankruptcy. All the creditors were ready to foreclose at 12 noon on a particular day. That morning, the founders of the school met in the president's office to pray that God would provide. And I love that. What does scripture say? If anybody's in trouble, let them pray. In that prayer meeting was pastor and author Harry Ironside. When it was Harry's turn to pray, he remembered Psalm 5010. There the Lord said, every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hill. And Harry Ironside prayed, 
Lord, we know that the cattle on a thousand hills are thine. Please sell some of them and send us the money. Just about that time, a tall Texan in boots and an open-collar shirt strolled into the business office. Howdy, he said to the secretary. I just sold two carloads of cattle over in Fort Worth. I've been trying to make a business deal go through, but it just won't work. I feel God wants me to give this money to the seminary. I don't know if you need it or not, but here's the check. And he handed it over. The secretary took the check and knowing the critical nature of the hour, went to the door of the prayer meeting and lightly knocked. Dr. Lewis Sperry Schaefer, the founder of the president of the school, answered the door and took the check from her hand. When he looked at the amount, it was for the exact sum of the debt. And he recognized the cattleman's name on the check, turned to the rest of the group and said, Harry, God sold the cattle. God sold a few cattle for Dallas Theological Seminary, and surely he can help us. God took care of the widow. Surely he can help us. Can I remind you today that God has not forgotten you? He loves you profoundly. He's holding your hand. You're engraved on the palm of his hand. Can I remind you today to turn to Jesus as the answer in life? Don't look to the things of this world. They're a temporary fix. Jesus is your answer. Can I remind you today that he is an on-time God he knows what you're going through. And he will see you through this. He will see you through this. Rabbit trail. If you, if you, if you question that, I want you to find some elderly people within this church. And I want you to talk to them about the challenges that they've faced in life and how God has brought them through you'll be amazed at the stories of God's faithfulness. You don't see it right now in your challenge, but he's faithful. Can I remind you today that God is here to help? And he also wants you to help. He also wants to use you to help. Recognize that you have God. He's bigger than you can think or imagine. He's on your side. And he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Trust in Jesus. Trust in God. He's going to walk you through this. There's a miracle waiting for you. There's breakthrough going to happen for you. He loves you today. He loves you today. I tell you today, he loves you profoundly, extravagantly. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.